That thing has terrible mileage. All right, here we are in episode two. We have another person from my cruise ship career. Now, I know what you're thinking. This is supposed to be a podcast about creativity, not about uh, parading a bunch of cruise ship friends. Uh, we'll get we'll get to some non-cruise ship people in the next episode, I promise. But this is a good one today. It is my good friend and fantastic saxophonist and woodwind doubler, Brian Canonigo. Brian is a fellow Canadian who I worked with for years. I consider him a very good friend. Today we talk about uh, his approach to woodwind doubling, uh, getting better uh, versus plateauing as a musician, finding motivation, uh, why we teach music, um, the sacrifices we make to be full-time musicians, and uh, at the end, something about butter. So stay tuned for the butter. Okay, here we go! Hey. You got your voice memo going? Yep. All right. So I'm talking to Brian Canonigo today, my good friend. Uh, What's up? Of many, many years. How many years? 20, 30 years? 40 years? 100 years? No, I think we actually met 2010, maybe, or 2011? Yeah, that sounds right. I think it was, well, I started... Yeah, because it would have been on the Liberty. Yeah. Uh, and that was my first contract, and then I came back to it later, and you were still there. On, I think that was like my <laughs> third contract or something. Yeah. Um, I was still there. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, like you would probably had a vacation in between there, but um, it just makes it sound like I lived there for two years <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, basically. Um, well, you know, it kind of did. Um, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I remember, yeah, meeting you, and that, that was funny because like my friend Lloyd, who had done a cruise ship, do you remember that? Had done a cruise ship. Um, here, I'm gonna stop sharing so I can actually see you. There you go. Um, over like Christmas or something. Mm -hmm. Like I was, I was in school, and he had gone and done like a. I don't know, like a month or a couple weeks or something. Oh, I remember. I remember him and now. Was, yeah. And he was describing you, uh, and I remember getting the chip, and I'm like, I think that's... I'm like, do you meet this guy Lloyd from Nova Scotia, from Newfoundland? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, very small world. Very interesting. I think that's um, the... Uh, I don't know, it's the thing about being in this business, right? It doesn't matter whether yeah. you're on cruise ships, you're on Vegas, you're in L.A., you're in New York, wherever, whatever coast you're on, it's... It's a really, really small community. I mean, if you think about it, um, yeah, you know, yeah, man. So, well, just so we can, I just want to give everybody context. Can you talk about your background a little bit? Um, like how? So you're. Well, I'll just let you I'll let you go. So yeah, um, originally from uh, Toronto, Canada. Um, grew up there. Went to undergrad at Humber College in uh, Toronto and um, I did the uh, jazz program there um, it was it was really my uh, 
my undergrad was really in jazz studies altogether. Um, did the four years there. And then um, at that time, I was also performing quite a bit. I was with this group called the Toronto All-Star Big Band, which I was performing in as a sideman. And uh, I was also like a featured soloist uh, doing a bunch of uh, clarinet solos, you know, Benny Goodman, Artie Shaw, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, did that for like four or five years. And then um, and then uh, I also led the band for like a really, really short time. I think it was when we were looking for a new uh, new band later. Anyway, finished undergrad, graduated. And then, yeah, I started doing cruise ships almost right away, like full time. I had done cruise ships during the summers in between um, – some of my years in undergrad, so um, it was really interesting actually because the reason I got hired in the first place was because of my um, skills as a woodwind doubler. They needed somebody on on this specific ship to play flute and clarinet on these hard shows, and yeah, uh, you know the the <laughs> the recruiter was like, "Oh, you're like the only one in the school who doubles." <laughs> And I was like, oh, there's a few other people, but you know, I was that was always been my uh, my big thing was um, being able to flute p- play flute and clarinet like really really well. So yeah, man, you you make yourself a commodity that way. Well, I it, it's just I loved it too. You know, that was it was really more just yeah. like I I didn't think of it as like I'm doing this to get work. You know, like yeah. It was always about like, man, I love the sound of the clarinet and I love the sound of the flute. And yeah, and just to preface for our listeners, anyone listening to this, Brian is a like unbelievably fantastic alto saxophone player who's also equally as good uh, on on flute and clarinet, which is not as common. Like, there's lots of not I wouldn't say lot. I would say there are lots of saxophone players. There's less doublers. And there's even less people who can play all of them actually really well. <laughs> so you're what you're among those people. So. Well, I've always treated it as, you know, like I am not a woodwind doubler. I am a clarinet player the moment right. I touch that instrument. I am a flute yeah. player the moment I touch that instrument, you know. So it's really more mm-hmm. about like um, having I, – I, I always say this to my students too. It's like you got to have respect for the instrument. That you're playing, right? It's not just like something you just pick up and blow into. It's like no, there's a there's a certain way you need to you need to play that instrument, you know, no matter what you're doubling on, right? So yeah, um, so that's always been kind of like my my big thing about that. And and I took you know lessons specifically on flute, and I took lessons specifically on clarinet. It's not like I just would pick it up, you know on the side after practicing saxophone or whatever. But um, anyway, uh, being in the Toronto All-Star Big Band, really, that's, that was my, like, that was the place where I really developed my doubling. Just because of how important it was to the music and... Because of the repertoire, right? Yeah, yeah. And and we we were playing a lot of the old, like... You know Frank yeah. Sinatra charts, the the Nelson Riddle arrangements with like a lot of uh, you know doubling in it, and then um, 
you know, obviously all the clarinet solos that I was playing. But yeah, it, it was um, it was interesting that that was always just a thing for me. I I, I was never. Um, it was never like secondary, you know. It was always kind of like primary. Yeah. So yeah, like a, a play it like you mean it kind of thing. Yeah, that's, yeah, uh, yeah. I took that to heart, and that's something that like it's, I was so lucky to have you on like in my early cruise ship career mm-hmm. because it was just like I got to I got to have somebody that I could. Uh, I'm not like nece- I'm not really competitive, but like I, it really does help to have somebody there that's like way better than you, <laughs> so you can not. Not to the point where you, uh, you know, uh, what, what did uh, one of our friends used to say before a particular show? He goes, it was a very hard show. He goes, uh, are you ready to have your self-esteem ground into a fine powder? <laughs> but no, it's like, it, that's that's one end of the spectrum. But like the other one is just like, I was surrounded by so, like just way really good musicians. Uh, all of them were better than me. And that made me improve so much quicker, I think, because like I needed to practice to keep up with you guys so um well that that was the uh, flute lessons after the shows and stuff right 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 that was the thing um, too like i started cruise ships like uh probably like four or five years before you did yeah and when i got on there um it was the kind of the same thing you know i was i was the uh i was the new guy (laughs) and um all the other guys that were playing around me were were really really good you know at everything mm-hmm. and uh um i was hired to play lead alto as like a 19 year old and the musical director was the tenor player and then yeah. the barry player <laughs> that's intimidating yeah, yeah the barry player had been there for like you know a few years too so they were like older than me yeah. and here I am trying to lead the section, and it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so I I quickly uh, learned. <laughs> Come on, guys, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it wasn't like that at all. I was very, no, I, uh, I was very I shy. Picture. If you can uh, imagine that, <laughs> um, I was kind of uh, still in my in my shell, if you will. Um, okay. Uh, that, yeah, you, know, you weren't so shy when I met you. Yeah, yeah, you were, yeah. No, you settled into being yourself, I guess. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and it took me a while to gain that confidence. It's it's really what it boils down to is that like how confident are you in your skills as a musician, as a leader, you yeah. know, all that kind of stuff. And that didn't really come along until like four or five years into it. So yeah, so yeah, when we met, I was already in that mode of like. You know, being a being a leader or like at least a seasoned, you know, more seasoned musician, I guess. Um, but yeah, so um, after I did, uh, you know, cruise ships, um, you know, I mean, we had done, I think we had done a contract together like the last few years we were in it together, right? Yeah, well, there was so we did like I did like a month. I was on the Liberty and then I came back to it for like a whole contract. And then we didn't we do the we did the Splendor. Yeah, we did that huge then, that huge longer contract on the Splendor together. Yes. Yeah. That was the longer one, yeah. Yeah, so at that time my mindset was already like cuz that was probably like year 8 of cruise ships, yeah. you know. So I was already like making my plans on the way out. Yeah. Um, so what that meant was, uh, for me at least, it was, uh, you know, preparing to go back to grad school, and uh, 
You know, I I I thought about it a lot, and I think uh, education and teaching, and you know, going back to that part of music was always a thing in the back of my mind. Like I put it off for so many years just because I was, you know, just working and having fun on the cruise ships. Yeah, and then yeah, I don't know something. Something happened where I was like, you know what? I think I want to go back to to teaching and academia and that and that side of you know that side of things. And I've always been like a big um, you know uh, I've always been a big fan of just uh, like things like jazz history, jazz theory, you know. Um, but not even just jazz though, like just music theory, music history in general, and and just. You know, uh, digging into music at that level. You know what I mean? Like, did you at, like, at a did deeper you have, level? Did you have like a plan in mind for after grad school, or was it just kind of like, I know that I want to do that, and that's going to be my next step? But did you know kind of where you wanted to go after that? Or so, even when I was in undergrad, I kind of knew that that was the environment I wanted to be in. At some point yeah. in my life, you know, teaching younger adults how to be, yeah, you know, better people, basically. <laughs> um, and and that's no joke, you know. It's like whether it was gonna be in music or something else. Like I've I always liked that environment of yeah. you know um, growth and just that just that environment of like you know encouraging everybody around you. To be better people. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's interesting because, like, and it's, we, we, you know, you remember the good and bad things about places, obviously, but I know that, like, just, you got me thinking about, like, the environment of a cruise ship versus the environment of grad school, and it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a, like, I don't know. I think everybody sort of has their own sort of like misery with whatever situation, right? like the whole misery, uh, um, <laughs> misery loves like, company misery contest, <laughs> not misery loves company, but like misery, uh, is like relative, I guess. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 you, yeah. You can like, you know, it's happiness kind of fades after the change of, of whatever like improvement you made, whatever. It's just people will find a way to be unhappy sometimes, well, okay. <laughs> but it, but in saying that I was going to say like, Grad school, that's you. You on a cruise ship is was kind of like that. Made me that you because you left before I did. You leave before I did, or after? I you left, think you went so. Yeah, I left like a year before you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah you did. Uh, and I was only in year six by the time I left, so you went long, much longer than I did. But um, I was just gonna say, like, it is kind of like there's not as much. The, the cruise ship can very much be a place where you can grow personally. And, and improve your craft and like just get better and doing the stuff but it's it's not set up for that obviously it's a job right and you're basically you live in an office building that floats um so it's like or a hotel whatever um and it's like aside from like you and maybe a couple other people there's not that many people actively trying to improve every day you know uh and that's something that i kind of realized like watching like you went and like i'm toward the end of my whole thing like Meredith was gone my wife um she was off the ship and I, I just like I had no reason to be there anymore and I 
kind of shut down and, and went into prepare for grad school mode. Um, and I, you know, whatever it's, it's, it all worked out. I got accepted and all this stuff, but like, it was really, really hard. It was going against the grain of everybody around me who was just there to work and let's go to the beach. Let's blah, blah, blah. You know? Um, yeah, I don't know. It just, that's just, it's an interesting, uh, comparison, I guess. Um, uh, so, so for me, that environment, um, it's, it's a work environment, right? So, yeah. I, I don't think I ever had any delusions about it not being a work environment. We're there to work. Yeah, you're there to do your job. Yeah. You're there to play and then you're done. But yeah, then it's like after that, you know. Oh, I think I lost you. No, no, no. I'm, oh, I'm still here. Yeah. So, okay. um, so yeah, we're, we're there to work. We're there to like play our music and then get paid like <laughs> yep. you know i mean if you break it down that way it's pretty simple but it's all of those moments you know before and after the show it's like what are you, what are you doing yeah you know what are you doing yeah. I'd like are you just here to just you know do this and repeat the cycle and over over and over again or do you want to mm-hmm. do something else and and that that i think that's a lot of that's the crossroads that we all come to as musicians, yeah. especially on the cruise ship, it's like, if I'm not improving, then what am I doing, right? I, I always talk about this too with my students now. It's like, um, you know, I'm more worried about their trajectory than their results. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and and it's that concept of like, yeah, you know, you may play well today, but were you better than you were yesterday, right? Yeah. And we all plateau at some point, you know, and we, you know, I'm pretty sure I plateaued on the cruise ships for many years where I I didn't get any better. And I just like kind of stayed the same and just, you know, towed the line. But the whole point is that, you know, being a professional, I don't think I got worse. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing is like you were playing every day and and. There is something to be said for that, which I, I sort of like, I kind of scoffed at that a little bit when I would hear that on the ship. It's like, well, at least you're playing. It was funny because you were saying you, you talked to uh, Joel about like, he, you were talking to him about the cruise ship and, or no, no, I'm sorry. That wasn't, that wasn't you. You know Joel too, but it was uh, Brew, uh, <laughs> uh, George. George, yeah, he yeah, was, yeah. He, he was another it's all saxophone player friends of ours um <laughs> the, he was in new york uh i think i want to say he went to smalls and saw joel from uh play and he was talking to him outside and he was just saying like he's like oh yeah i'm a saxophone player too and he's like oh, cool like whatever and then he's like i work on a ship and, and joel was like that's really great man like you got a you got a steady gig playing saxophone that's amazing and this is like one of the best saxophone players on the planet um, like really like emphasizing like don't take that for granted you know because uh, like it's those gigs are rare man and they're getting I don't know I, I don't want to say they're getting rarer but uh, you know I don't I don't think there's not really an explosion in uh, in that uh, job market coming anytime soon I don't know though but the point is yeah, you don't get you, you maintain a certain level from just playing every day and you know all that stuff. But yeah, yeah and, you and definitely you don't have somebody like 
telling you to get better. There's no, there's no act like, and especially you because you are usually the best musician in the band. So it's like you have. It's hard to get. Like I was saying in the beginning, it's so much easier to get better when you're surrounded by uh, amazing people that are better than you, right? Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. So. I, I took a lesson with Joel Fromm probably – yeah, it was like the first the first time uh, in 2010. So that was like halfway through my cruise ship thing, you know. I uh, I started in 2005 and then I, I ended up leaving in 2015. But yeah, I remember taking my first lesson with Joel um, in 2010 and it ended up being like a four-hour – lesson slash hangout slash whatever and he was one of the people one of the few people that at that time that was just like yeah man don't ever take that job for granted because you know it's you're making money and Mm -hmm. you're making a living playing your saxophone like and making music yeah and that's something that a lot of people can have and then but he's like yeah but you need to continue you know, yeah. improving. <laughs> and uh, You need a trajectory. Yeah. yeah man. It's like you need to feel like you're moving forward. Otherwise, it's like being hopeless. Yeah. And, and, and it was this like, you know, there was this guy that I, you know, that I respected the hell out of, you know, mm. saying that like, yeah, this cruise ship gig is, is good for you, you know. And at that point, I hadn't heard that from a lot of other people on the, yeah. on the ships. Well, and it's like, <laughs> but then it maybe you've heard it, but not from somebody that you actually took seriously. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, it's like maybe your parents, maybe your relatives or something are telling you. This is an example, but like, oh, don't you know that sounds great? Like, oh, you get to play saxophone and live and travel around, and you get paid a certain amount, and it's like that sounds great. And yeah, like, of course it does. But again, it like. If you if you stop moving, you stop progressing, and you're kind of like, I'm just sort of surviving. It's, I'm treading water. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's yeah. It, it doesn't it's matter per, how, you it's know, perspective, right? You you gotta you gotta have yeah, that exactly that perspective of like, all right, I am doing this cruise ship gig, but you know, it's it's better than flipping burgers at McDonald's. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know? Of course, and it's like there's gratitude. You gotta have gratitude, but it's. I, I got to the point, and I was definitely even as dark as I got on on those. As dark as we both were, <laughs> it, it just you know, it's you don't have windows, right? <laughs> yeah, that was something along the lines of uh, you were saying like, uh, what was it? We were doing like boat drill or something, and <laughs> somebody was like, like boat drill where they like pack. You, you have to. Like, they have to see that we all know how to, like, pack into a lifeboat. And uh, it's, so it's, like, 150 people in a tiny little lifeboat. And uh, somebody it's like 100 like, degrees well, in there, too. Yeah, and it's 100 degrees. Like, there's people, like, literally stacked vertically on top of each other. Like, like how the benches are. It's, like, oh, it's awful. Like, claustrophobia to the max. But... Yeah, I'm getting PTSD someone, just hearing about this again. Oh my god! I feel like some some host or something was like, uh, said like, "Well, at least it's nice outside." And you were like, "Yeah, that's what prisoners say." <laughs> <laughs> or it's like it's like a nice day outside. It's like, and you compared it to like looking through like the bars of it yourself or something. It was, yeah, it was it was dark, but 
you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, we had to definitely. we had to go through the all the bad. There's bad parts of any job and all that stuff. And at the end of the day, I was still able to remind myself anyway. I think everybody was that we're playing music for a living. But it doesn't that doesn't mean you're just going to stop wanting to get better, get somewhere else in your life maybe, make a change, you know, all this stuff that everybody wants to do. Um but yeah, it's uh I don't know where I was going with that, but uh, no, it, yeah, it, it, were... it's 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 a it's a big deal, you know, finding what keeps you motivated while you're doing yes. this while you're doing this job. And the one thing always that it came back to was just getting better as a musician, getting better as a saxophone player, getting better as a flute and clarinet player. Like I, you know, the, I remember there were contracts um, towards the latter half of my time on the cruise ships where I would spend just six months practicing flute, you know, I didn't even touch my saxophone in like one or two contracts, you know, or the same thing where like, besides playing the show, yeah, besides playing the show, but like, I I only practice clarinet for like a contract, you know, so it was it was that kind of level of like, man, I I really need to, like face the dragon, (laughs) you know, just confront the dragon of like, yeah, of, of clarinet <laughs> for like six months. well it's it's because it's like it's like a semester of school like a contract would be like between like five and like seven months yeah. or something and yeah exactly compare it kind of to a year or a semester of school just yeah. focusing on one thing yeah yeah um so, so no, go yeah it's all right go ahead go but ahead. no no I'm, I'm like just to, to finish off that that part of the you know my career um yeah, I'm very grateful for the for the time that I had on there. Um not just financially, but um you know, just the 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 sense of like isolation mm-hmm. and just being able to like focus on yourself yeah. and being able to figure out what you want to do in life, but not just that, but as a musician you know, you, you start figuring out your priorities, right? Mm-hmm. And even yeah. as a professional, you start figuring out what 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 do I really want to do? You know? Yeah. So. No, that's great. And then, so it was what, like eight, nine years by the time you left? You had done. It was ten six? years, man. Ten years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I only did six, so I mean, like you, you, let yeah. I, I got a dark, but it's like you 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 went through a lot longer without windows, basically. <laughs> yeah, and and you know you remember this probably, but there was an issue with uh, my last contract and how the company oh, yeah. cheated me out of some money and yeah, all of that, all of yeah, that no, business. I, I'm not gonna I think that's. I'm not gonna get into that now, but. Definitely. No, for sure. I, basically, <laughs> the was a rule big motivator of this podcast, for me to leave, you know. No, for sure. The rule of this podcast is like, hey, let's not do anything to get us get us fired or burn any bridges. But I think it's it's okay to be worth mentioning. Here's my point with all that, and I'm not going to get dark or anything with it. Mm-hmm. It's just the the company happens to offer you an incentive for staying ten years, mm-hmm. and when you get offered that. That is obviously going to make you want to stay. If you're at year eight, you're like, hey, what's another two years? I'll get the package. I'll get out of there. Honestly, that's the um, only when reason that why happen. I stayed. Yeah, that's why I stayed for the entire yeah. 10 years was the promise of when, this. Yeah. Yeah. And the argument can be made like not every company does that. 
and it's like it's an extra bonus thing and it's like well you shouldn't be mad if you didn't get this extra bonus thing but no they told you it was coming for mm-hmm. 10 years mm-hmm. and then when it doesn't happen whether or not there's technicalities on either side or whatever mm-hmm. and that's not then you're not the only person that's been I don't know if I want to use the word cheated, but like you, you were led on to believe this, and they did everything they possibly could to make sure you didn't get that little package that they were dangling from a distance. So I just wanted to say that, just being honest. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to say it. It was I, I did feel cheated, though. I mean, I am no, and you would, yeah, of yeah. Course I, you. I, I'm, I'm totally going to use that word, and sure. You know, there was a lot of dishonesty between me and the company, like they were being dishonest to me about, sure. um, you know, dates and times and, and contract lengths. And they tried yeah. to, you know, they tried to get me on some technicalities here and there. But at yeah, the, at, at the exactly. end of the day, I learned a huge lesson, you know, about yeah. working for a corporation, mm-hmm. right? And how this is a business like this is, you know, things are going to happen like this throughout your career working for a corporation. So, yeah, Yeah. lesson learned. And, uh, yeah, that's why I I think I felt a lot better when I moved on and went back to grad school. Well, and I just from talking to you, like I'm thinking of conversations we had before while we were on ships and and then now after it's like you know and especially for me i was just telling meredith the other day like i'm like i i was gonna say you can't pay me enough to go back there you definitely could but (laughs) uh it's i'm not anywhere near as like when when things get bad right now like i'm not the happiest guy right now i'll be honest um i'm trying real hard to switch careers and do all this stuff i'm but i'm i'm also not i was like real miserable at a certain point and it was usually when i didn't have meredith mm-hmm. um because when you're that's just like the contracts like you live in these tiny little cabins and like which is already kind of like you know stressful when you're with somebody with your spouse your significant other but when you're just with like a random person and your your wife is like miles away and you can't see her for four or five six months at a time it's like it's rough man and uh but yeah anyway it's i i think we're both in a better place now now in saying that what did you do after fill us in of where you went after cruise ship when did you leave what year i left 2015 and then i went i ended up going to columbus state university in columbus georgia for my Mm -hmm. master's in classical saxophone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that happened. <laughs> yeah. So you get, you're going for that technique, man. You're going for that <laughs> well, technique okay. angle. Well, the, the reason why I decided to go there was because of my teacher, Joe Girard. Um, you know, uh, he studied with Donald Sinta, who's like, you know, mm-hmm. one of the biggest names in, in all of classical saxophone. So I was like, you know what? I want to learn that school of playing but not just that i had like to be honest i had zero experience playing that kind of music right and i told myself like if i wanted to teach at the university level like i should know about this and i should know about you know how to play um classical music anyway um in 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 general so 
the school offered me, you know, a, a pretty good package in terms of um, an assistantship and all that stuff. But at the same time, you know, they they offered me um, teaching opportunities. And that's really one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to go to a smaller kind of conservatory school like that rather than a, a bigger university where there were less of those opportunities, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, when I was at Columbus State, I did I did the uh, master's program there, and it's a two-year program. And, uh, yeah, I, I felt like I was starting from ground zero, <laughs> to be sure. honest. Yeah, I, I had to reset everything, my embouchure, the way I use yeah. my air, the way I, I phrase, the way I – like just everything – and the first thing I told uh, Joe Girard, I was like, hey, you know, I want you to just kick my ass, basically, yeah. with, about yeah. everything, about everything. And he didn't yeah. let off the gas pedal, man. He he was just good. the the two years, the first my first two years there. Um, Yeah, he just he just kept going and, and really just kept pushing me, um, you know, to 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 really learn how to play this music. Um, but it's not just that, man. I, I learned a lot of, um, like, disciplinary kind of things that I, I guess I had forgotten about or maybe that just weren't well-developed when I was on the cruise ships, okay. you know? And I'm talking about... For example. Yeah, I'm talking about, um, you know, using your time really well like time management right i thought i had that down um but not the case at all um <laughs> you know um just be, being more effective when you're practicing or improving you know yeah um and then the big thing for me was like documenting things document okay. yeah documenting your progress documenting your practice routine, like writing things down or reminding, you know, reminding yourselves in certain parts of the music, that kind of stuff. I, I, I guess all of that came to light again when I went back to school and how deficient I really was in those areas, you know. So if for someone who maybe doesn't, maybe there's a musician listening or, you know, uh, who has more of a I'm just going to practice what I'm not good at and and what what did what did documenting things specifically what is that what was the result of that what what was the advantage of doing that kind of thing so when you um, when you write versus things down maybe not I guess yeah when you when you write things down you know it it helps you just focus on certain aspects of your playing cuz when you walk into a practice room and you only have an hour, right? Yeah. Um, you want that to be as focused as possible. And at least with me, I know that sometimes uh, I, I just get too distracted with so many different things, whether it's on the saxophone or in the music or whatever. And if I don't write things down that I need to work on, then I, I com get completely sidetracked on something else. So it, I had yeah. to like prioritize basically what was what I needed to to work on to improve to basically. And then that turned into um, especially when learning pieces, you know, um, 
this is what I learned just the way classical musicians do this is that they they really hyper focus on one or two pieces a semester basically yeah right and as a jazz musician we don't do that right as jazz musicians we don't really you know take that kind of detail i think and i'm not speaking for every jazz musician but i know a lot of just throughout my career as a jazz musician and slash commercial musician you know i don't work on a tune for like a whole semester yeah you know so it it was really eye-opening um just digging that deep into something yeah and uh yeah man i i I really thought i had my stuff together and then (laughs) apparently not so (laughs) go to go to back to grad school to get spanked again well yeah and and you just start noticing all these things that you take for granted like i don't know intonation (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) you know or like being able to keep a steady um a steady tone throughout a thing you know or like um phrasing like for example phrasing was a big thing for me i i thought i knew how to phrase but i really didn't and what i mean by that is you know taking a line and a piece of music and just being able to bring out certain things or being able to you know um playing it play it in a way that was uh more convincing you know and it yeah. wasn't just it wasn't just notes on a page right and gotcha. when you when you become a commercial musician that kind of all that kind of stuff just falls by the wayside sometimes when you you know you just got to basically play the notes on the page <laughs> but yeah. um yeah yeah I, I i realized that there was like way more in the music that i was kind of just you know ignoring or basically taking for granted yeah yeah that's good so then so you did uh columbus yeah you got your master's so yeah after my master's degree um i decided to stay for another two years um i did an artist diploma which is another two years but basically it was like um you didn't have to do any academic courses and everything was just performance courses so i was basically taking lessons for two more years in classical saxophone and i don't regret (laughs) a single day of that because i needed more i needed more time i needed more time to improve i needed more time to just be in academia again in that setting and Mm -hmm. i needed more time um for uh teaching experience you know so some of my teaching experiences was um you know leading my jazz my own jazz combo for example i got to do that for three years there um you know i got to teach uh history classes you know theory classes like just more time to do that was invaluable like well and plus you're learning you're getting better at those all those things by teaching it right yeah best way to learn so yeah and uh, this is the way i like to do things anyway it's like i get super obsessed about you know a certain certain thing and i like nerd out on it so that's literally what happened was just like i was just nerding out on and now for context for like you know for 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 three years non-musical context of that of how brian obsesses over things uh 
he while it was while he was on the ship he bought um, a Street Fighter um, <laughs> joystick. How would what would you how would you describe that? It was like it was the size of like a it, so it's an arcade stick. It's like it's like you know yeah. So it's an arcade stick. Yeah. And he, but you kept getting like new ones that kept getting more <laughs> intricate. So Brian would play Street Fighter on I think it was on Xbox, right? Yeah. But then he had this special controller that was like a, an arcade controller. So, but he would he did he did that for like two straight contracts or something. I swear to God, man, nobody ever beat him. <laughs> you were very good at that game, but uh, yeah, it's, it's you, just so you wake up. It's just what happens. At like five in the morning, like <laughs> go practice for like four hours. And then play Street Fighter. I, I don't Just. know what it is about my life or my personality, but <laughs> I always have to be good at whatever I'm doing. Oh yeah, right. No, I get it. My, my, I, get I, it. I, I, I'm not saying this to like be a braggart or anything. Like, I, I just set really high standards for myself. You know, so whether it's like gaming or music or relationships, <laughs> you know. I, I always have to be like at a certain level, right? I I, I I don't know why, but there's something in my brain that goes, "Oh, mediocrity! You can't do that." Like it, yeah. it's you've gotta you've gotta be better than that. You know, it's always just like, "Yeah, you gotta be better. You gotta be better." So, like in in this context of Street Fighter, like I was so into it that I looked into. You know, training with other people. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, we're, we're our group of friends are not like what I would necessarily um, call the like cool archetype. I mean, we're a lot of gamers, uh, a lot of indoor kids, right? But uh, yeah, so like, we would have we're coming from a, an atmosphere of like playing. Um, you know, Warcraft on our, uh, our <laughs> on a lo- on a land having land parties. Uh, <laughs> with, God, and it, see that's part of the ship that I don't I don't uh, I do miss. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Uh, is like the sort of like the camaraderie you get like really really fast with people. It's because the community you're just always around thing. People. Yeah, it's the community. Yeah, right? it's a yeah, very yeah. very strong community. Yeah. I will say that. Um, but. Yeah, so you looked into, like, training like, yeah. against other Be- people on the ship? Because like, I, in different departments? Well, no, or? no, no. So I was just treating it like I did playing my instruments, you know? Yeah. Where I was like, okay, I need to get lessons. Like, I need to get yeah. lessons in <laughs> in Street Fighter from these, like, professionals. So I looked into, like, pro gamers um, in Toronto for a little bit. And like getting lessons with them and like training. See, I and didn't so, know that. Yeah, I did. I did not know. This. No, no, no. So fantastic. this is like so intense. Like, you know, I wanted to take the whatever four five weeks I had a vacation in between cruise ship contracts, and I wanted to like, you know, take oh, lessons to be really good. I love that. And uh, you know, it didn't end up happening. But you know, it, it's it, there's just again there's just something in my personality where I feel like I have to be at a certain level all the time i don't know why but um yeah it's 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 just interesting the parallels between you know my hobbies and my professional life right well that's perfect that you say that because like i was just gonna say the whole thing about you're saying delving into one piece of music for an entire semester um 
you're going to get more out of um, like really delving into something than like from one thing than you will from sort of delving into like five different things, you know? And I think that's that. I think that mindset is probably why you were going to look for <laughs> Street Fighter lessons because, like, <laughs> you're just like I'm. This this game will be so much more fun if I'm at this level, you know. Which is what yeah. that's anything. That's music. That's any craft is going to be. Yeah, I think more satisfying if you're just out of just the higher the level you are you know yeah i guess it's the the whole thing of like dedication right it's like how how dedicated are you to you know being the best at something or yeah. you know i mean it's not necessarily always a competition i i don't think i grew up with that mentality you know what i mean that oh i always like i have to be i have to be good or else you know um, you know, my parents will won't be proud of me. Like, no, that's not. That was never like my okay. goal. Like, that was, I was never. Gonna ask, like, yeah. Did you like flip a switch at some point? Then, like, was it? Um, I I think what it was is that. Uh, mm, I mean, I'm not gonna like badmouth my family or anything like that. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but I did grow up with a lot of mediocrity around me. You know, okay. a lot of people just being like, yeah, I'm just going to work nine to five, come home, sit and lie down and do nothing for the rest of the night, you know? Right. Or, and then. Re- Which is like it, to say, like, and, that's all, that's like most people. Yeah, I yeah, would yeah. Say, but right? but and like, I don't think that that's necessarily like, that doesn't make them a bad person. Yeah. I just think that they just don't, they're satisfied. Yeah, exactly. In, in, you know, I, I appreciate my parents for all they did in terms of like, being able to like put food on the table and like you know putting a roof over my over my head and all that stuff because they did all that you know they they worked their nine to five jobs and and all that stuff and you know it was it was great like growing up was not a problem (laughs) you know i wasn't starving (laughs) like quote quote of uh i'll have that as the quote of the episode (laughs) brian canonigo growing up was not a problem yeah it it was you know chapter 11 I, I I still uh, you know I'm very nostalgic in that way that I, I long yeah. for those uh, longer summer days that I had back in like '98 and '99 you know um, right. when you know growing up was pretty easy but um, I, I I guess maybe it started in in high school um, when I was I, I guess I had to figure out like what I wanted to do. You know, and when when I got into music, yeah, that was it for me, man. Like I, I I don't know, I the bug hit me, and next thing you know, I'm like just playing (laughs) like all day and practicing all summer, and nobody told me to do it. You know, I wasn't being I wasn't being forced to do it. I just loved it. Like I think that's the biggest difference. With me growing up and with a lot of other kids that got kind of forced or thrown into music, I was right. not thrown into music. Like my, my parents were not like, you're going to take piano lessons or you're going to take clarinet lessons and you're going to be good. Like I never got any of that. You know, they, I, I guess I don't know if they meant to do this, but they kind of just let me, you know, pursue my interests. Right. Yeah. And that's a totally different way of parenting than a lot of other kids that I knew that grew up or like a lot of my other peers, too. Now, you know, 
were like, oh, yeah, I've been taking lessons since I was six and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, <laughs> I didn't do that. Yeah. I literally got a broken clarinet in like eighth grade. And then I just figured out how to make like sounds on it. And then in high school, it was kind of the same thing, you know, like I got <laughs> I got thrown into just musical situations like, hey, we need an alto player in big band. Can you do this? So it's like, yeah. OK, <laughs> yeah. let's uh, let's figure this out. I think, you know, it's a lot of fun. So let, let's just do it. Yeah, it's just it's just like playing the upper register of clarinet. It's fine. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like way easier. But, but uh, you know what? I, you know what I'm saying, though? Like, I'm sure you have friends, too, that like, yeah. grew up in a situation where like, oh, yeah, my, my parents told me I had to take piano lessons, you know, and then yeah. they end up like quitting or like hating that part of their, you know, uh, not hating, but like, um, they look back at that part of their lives that with like, you know, not such good memories. <laughs> yeah, sure. And for- yeah, cause you associate with something that you disliked. You had a bad time doing this activity. So it's like you associate that activity, you know? Yeah. And, feeling, and so. man, I, I was not like that at all in like probably seventh or eighth grade and onwards up until today. Um, you know, with music, I've, I've always just been like super into it and yeah, it, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy how it's never, never really left me. <laughs> Even yeah. after all these well, think, years, yeah. you know, you would think it's after like, all these years that there'd be a time where you just like, <laughs> man, this is just, I, I don't want to do it anymore. And well, I, that's, that's kind of where I am, Brian. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. That's like where I am with my own playing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I'm not making it about me, but it's uh, that's just that's just something that I, you know, it is it is hard to teach and be excited about like going to play a wedding. I play a wedding in two weeks or something, um, and all I can think of, the only thing I'm thinking of right now is oh, I'm the only horn player, uh, you know, five piece band, the five piece band blues, where it's like you just kind of have to make up your own part. <laughs> Like playing with a three horn section is just so much easier, but um, that's all I can think about. I'm not thinking about, oh, I get to play saxophone. Like it just never enters my mind anymore. And I think that I'm being selfish a little bit because not everybody has the privilege of going and making decent money playing over a weekend at a wedding. Uh, but I just like I'm not excited about it anymore, and I barely play anymore, Brian. <laughs> so, so, so here, here's here's the thing, right? So when I did my master's, um, it was a performance degree, right? As compared yeah. to what you did was more of a composition, or composition arranging yeah. degree, right? Yeah. And I think this is the big misconception about people who have performance degrees is that, you know, they're basically it's, it's a useless degree is what they say, right? Or that's what a lot of people say that it's like – Oh, you have a performance degree, like you don't need that to play music. It's like I agree, you don't need that to play right. music, right? But right. to me, if you have a performance degree, it says to me that you know, you spent some time, whether it's a three year program, four year program, where you've developed some sort of discipline to learning an instrument at such a high level, right? In right. being able to to um, basically push yourself to those limits 
I think that says mm-hmm. a lot about somebody professionally. You know, absolutely, man. That's a really excellent way of describing that. Well, actually. and because I have um, students now that ask me all the time, it's like, hey, what can I do with my performance degree? You know, like what am I like? What am I doing this for? You know, like I don't see myself as a as a saxophone player after this. You know what I mean? Like right. all that stuff. But my 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 message to students all the time is that like no you're not just getting a performance degree you know it's not just about playing saxophone it's about developing these skills that can translate to other professions whether it be you know in engineering or whether you're going to be um a doctor or when you go, if you're going to go to medical school, if you're going to go to to law school, it, it's it's anything that requires discipline. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and that's yeah. I think that's that's the big misconception, right? And and I'm here to tell you that like it, it, being a musician in undergrad is is probably one of the harder subjects to major in than the other arts, you know, because mm-hmm. of the constant pressure that you're put on. To be able to perform at such a high level. And I think that's where a lot of people don't understand what, you know, going through music school is. Like they think, you know, a lot of people just think, oh, you know, music school, yeah, it's easy or whatever. No, man, these kids are stressed out. (laughs) They are working very hard, you know, to to be able to to do what they do at a high level. And yeah. Well, and I... I feel like that's, I mean, and that is true for a lot of things, but I think what, especially what makes music school so, like you're saying, like, so full of pressure is, like, the immediacy of the pressure. Yes. It's like, okay, play this tune and play it perfectly, and here's all the people that are listening. That's a little different than, you know, giving your, pa- like, bouncing your paper back and forth between, like, edit edits and drafts and all that stuff. That's just the first example I thought of, but... um yeah, it's just like this sort of immediate, like, you're in the spotlight and go kind of thing. You know? I, I, I like to compare it to, like, for for example, you know, I'm a big sports guy, right? So, sure. like, for example, in baseball, mm-hmm. you know, somebody can bat an average of 300 for their entire career. So that's 30% of the time you're hitting the ball. And yeah. that's your main job is to hit the ball. And you're only doing that 30% of the time. And yeah. you get con- and you get considered as like one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. You, yeah. you can't do that in music. <laughs> yeah. Hi there. Hate to interrupt, but this is the halfway point of the episode. And I'm going to split this into two parts. So this is the end of part one. I'm going to go to part two. The internet told me that my file was too big. No sweat, no transitions. Just go to part two right now. Go do it. Go. Find out about the butter. It's important.